We have been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at the wisdom literature in the Old Testament for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and the, the title of the series is The Life That You Long For. And what the wisdom literature does in the scripture is it addresses some of those 30,000-foot questions that often we don't take the time to even ask, let alone answer. And it would be hard to talk about the life that we long for and not talk about the subject we're going to talk about today. That is the subject of work. Work is a massive part of our lives. In fact, we'll spend 90,000 hours over our lifetimes working. Most of our waking hours are spent at work. And if we are going to find a life of meaning and purpose, this life that God has for us is going to have to address this topic where we spend most of our days. And it's interesting, our culture, we're in an interesting moment when it comes to work. In many ways, as a culture, we are questioning our relationship to work. We went through the Great Resignation. Remember that? Tens of millions of Americans quit their jobs looking for new opportunities. We are experiencing the phenomenon known as quiet quitting, right? Where, where there's this uh, fad where people are saying, hey, I don't want to quit because I still need that paycheck. I don't get me wrong, I love the paycheck, but I'm not passionate about the work, right? I'll do the very minimum I have to do so that you will not fire me, but I'm not going to be passionate about it. I'm not going to be excited about it. I'm not going to show initiative. I'm not going to go above and beyond. In addition to this, we have now artificial intelligence, which is changing entire industries and challenging certain industries altogether. How do we work in the new reality of artificial intelligence? We have strikes happening at the moment that affect many in our city, the writers and the actors strike. And in addition to all of this, we have a generational transition happening. The leadership of most industries right now is not the baby boomers. They have retired. The leadership in most industries right now is Gen X. It's a totally different style of leadership. And then coming up from the ground level, we have Gen Z, who is now entering into the workforce with an entire different set of expectations. So I say all of this, not to bore you with stats about work, but to simply acknowledge we are in a confusing moment when it comes to how we relate to work. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that Christ is Lord over every part of our lives. So if Christ is Lord over every part of our lives, shouldn't Christ change the way that we go about our nine to five? Shouldn't Christ transform the way that we look at our work? And what we're going to see in the book of Ecclesiastes is this, the writer who's, who calls himself the teacher, the teacher is asking big questions about the meaning of life. And in him talking about the meaning of life, he's going to drill down on one topic again and again 
and again and again, and it's the topic of work. And typically, what we do is we take one passage of Scripture and we kind of work through it together. What I want to do today is do a survey of the entire book of Ecclesiastes and pull out these passages where the teacher is going to instruct us on how to find meaning in our work. Here's the, sum, here's the summation of the question. Ecclesiastes 3.9. What gain has the worker from his toil? And I think we all kind of breathe deep and say, amen. What gain is there from all of this blood, sweat, and tears that I'm putting into this job? Is there any benefit from all of this work? And what Ecclesiastes is going to do is tell us a story of work that we see all throughout the rest of the Bible. We're going to see the design of work. We're going to see the problem of work, and we're going to see the redemption of work. So the first question, what is God's plan for our work? What is God's design for us? If God meant for us to work, what should it look like? You see, God did not place us in jobs by accident. In fact, God has woven work into the fabric of our world and into the fabric of the meaning of our lives. And here's what's interesting. The story of work starts with God himself. Ecclesiastes 3, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. This is an example of what we see all throughout the book. We have a God who works. We have a God who is active in the world. We have a God who is on the move. And in fact, the author of Ecclesiastes is using the same language the author of Genesis uses when he said, and God made God made the expanse of heaven. God made the beasts of the earth. And God said, let us make man in our image. God works. He takes and he shapes and he forms and he creates. Our very first look at God in the Bible, what is he doing? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created He's working. And if we keep reading, how does God work? Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. He formed mankind. And the same word for form is the word used for a potter forming and shaping his clay into a piece of art. You see, God doesn't just zap human beings on the earth. He's like, well, there's Johnny, Adam, Eve. No, he takes his good creation, this dirt that he has, and he begins to shape it and mold it like a potter does with the clay, and the imagery is intentional. God is working, taking the raw materials in front of him and fashioning them into something useful, and something beautiful. And we may be thinking, okay, big deal. Okay, God works. That makes sense. I like that. But why, why does that matter? Well, it matters in the way that we view work. When this was written, the book of Genesis was written, 
Uh, uh, there are many different, um, d- different uh, ancient Near Eastern literature about work. And one of the common pictures that we see is that a God in that time period never worked. Like work was beneath God. Like mankind, you guys work, but not God. In fact, I remember in college reading the, the, uh, the text Enuma Elish. It's a Babylonian account. And in this account, here is creation. You have the chief God and you have the lower gods. The chief God gave all of his work to the lower gods. The lower gods were really mad because they had to do all the chores and all the grunt work. So they begged the chief God, hey, would you please create humankind? And then they can take all of our work. So you gave the work to the lower gods, and then we'll dump all of our work on humans. So humans were created basically as slaves to carry the burden of work. So in that worldview, work is bad, right? Work is a burden. Work is something to be avoided if you can, but not the biblical worldview and not the biblical God. You see, God, our God, he steps on the scene and he's the most glorious being in the universe. And the very first introduction we get of him, he is working. And this work is not a curse. It's not a burden. Work is dignified. It's beautiful. It's a gift and a blessing. And so this God who works, forms and shapes mankind, and the very first thing he does, give them a job. Ecclesiastes says it this way. I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? You see, the uh, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, at the end of the day, There's nothing better for you than to rejoice in your work. But if work is fundamentally a curse and a burden, the command would not be to rejoice in it. The command would be to avoid it. But the teacher says, hey, listen, if you can learn to view work properly, if you can learn to view work the way that God views it, you don't have to avoid it. You can rejoice in it. Genesis 2 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Humans get put in a garden. Again, this imagery is intentional. They get put in a garden, and the call is to cultivate and to keep. He gives humankind a level of authority and responsibility to take God's good creation and to reorder it and reshape it and rearrange it and to cultivate it to bring out something good for the glory of God and our neighbors. And so what we see in the scripture is that actually work is a high calling. Take the raw materials of this world, this good world that our good father created and develop them. Take these stones of the earth, cut them, order them, design them, and build buildings. Take the sounds that are all around you, order them, arrange them, and create a symphony. Take large amounts of data, collect it. Write computer programs that honor God and help your neighbor. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. A gardener neither leaves the ground as is, nor does he destroy it. 
Instead, he rearranges it to produce food and plants for human life. He cultivates it. The words culture and cultivate come from the same root. Every vocation is in some way a response and an extension of the primal Edenic act of cultivation. You see, maybe you have the raw material of 21st graders and a curriculum. Your job, and it's a beautiful job, is to order and arrange and to teach that curriculum in such a way that produces flourishing for a group of first graders. Maybe your job is investments, and your job is to manage people's money. You have the raw material to the portfolio and the market, and you're thinking, how can I cultivate these persons' resources that they've worked hard for in a way that brings God glory, and they're good? Maybe you're an administrative assistant, and you have the raw material of a 1,000 emails and phone calls a day. And your job is to be organized and cultivate and arrange them in a way that helps the whole office flourish for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. Maybe you work at a hair salon and you have the raw material. And your job is to arrange it and to shape it and to form it into something beautiful. Some of us have, you know, it's easier than others. But you get the idea. God designed our work to be a gift to the world, to cultivate his material to bring out its potential and to build. It's part of who we are as image bearers. God is the creator, and he's made us little sub-creators on this earth. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, what has God called you to cultivate? What is the little pocket of this city where he's placed you and you're like, maybe I, my job, I hate my job. But God for this season has placed you there and he's given you some good gifts and he's saying, hey, could you rearrange these? Could you form these? Could you take what is good and draw out the potential for the glory of God and the good of those around you? Second, you're like, wait a minute. You just made work sound way better (laughs) than it is because I'm telling you, I'm going to show up tomorrow morning and it's not what you just said. (laughs) Yeah, you get off your high horse, man. (laughs) I'm just clocking in, I'm clocking out, I'm getting the paycheck and I'm moving on. Which leads us to our second question. Why is my work so frustrating? Our work is hard. The people we work with annoy us. The money is never enough. We get burnt out. It never feels like we have enough time to get the job done. We have issues with people above us. We have issues with people below us. We have issues with our peers. And work is hard. This, too, goes back to the Garden of Eden. When sin came into the world, one of the good gifts of God that got twisted and broken was our work. And there was a cycle that entered the world. It's not the cycle of flourishing work, but a cycle of broken work. And Ecclesiastes paints his picture so clearly. Ecclesiastes 4, then I saw that all toil, all skill and work came from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity, a striving after the wind. You see, what happened in the fall is our work got twisted. 
our motivation for work got thrown off. Instead of thinking of God's glory and the good of our neighbor, we began to think about the bottom line, how we can get ahead, how our reputation can be better than this other guy, how we can pad our savings accounts. And what happened was we began to view work as a means to an end. Yeah, who cares about the work we're doing? I just care about the paycheck, or I care about the reputation, or the fame, or the power. That's what I'm really after. And we had a wrong view of work, which led us, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. We view work wrong, and we begin to spiral down to this place of burnout and exhaustion, right? If you have a wrong view of work where, man, I just got to get mine, and I got to step on people to get mine, you will burn out so quick. It will be exhausting to you, because work was not meant to be lived that way. But we continue to cycle. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.18, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. At the end of the day, he says, okay, I viewed um, work wrongly, which led me to burnout, which led me to b- think this whole thing was pointless. Do you see his logic? It's actually quite interesting. He's like, listen, this whole thing that I spend my time doing is a waste of time because one of two things is going to happen. Well, eventually I'm going to die, and I'm, or retire, or quit, or something, and I am going to leave this behind to one of two choices. They're either going to be terrible, and they're going to wreck everything I worked on. Pointless. Or they're going to be great, <laughs> and they're going to take my work, and they're going to make it so much better, and then everyone's going to forget, forget about me anyway. This whole thing is Pointless. And you kind of see the cycle that is happening. We view it wrongly. We get burnt out and, ex- and exhausted. And then we feel like everything is pointless. And this happens mainly for two reasons. If you'd stay with me for one moment. This cycle begins with us viewing work wrongly. And we tend to view it wrong in two ways. In the first case, we can view work as a curse. Right? Simply a means to an end. I can pay my bills. I can get takeout. I can go on vacation. I can enjoy my life. So I will endure this job. I don't care about it. If I didn't have to do it, I would not do it. Work is a curse. Or we view it wrongly by thinking that work is a God. And this is true of many of us in New York. We have decided that I will stake my identity, my well-being, my reputation on what I create and how good I do at my job. So we begin to worship work. It is everything. We sacrifice at its altar. We sacrifice our family. We sacrifice our relationships. We sacrifice crazy overtime hours. We sacrifice our personal health. We think about it in the evening. We think about it in the middle of the night. Work becomes a God. And whether this afternoon you view it as a curse or you view it as a God, it's going to lead you to exhaustion. Which leads us to our final question. If God designed this thing to be so beautiful, yet in our world this thing is so messed up, 
how is there any redemption? And here's what's amazing. For those of us who know Jesus and are followers of Jesus, he transforms our heart. And what the gospel does is it doesn't um, pull us out of the world. It doesn't pull us out of our job. It doesn't pull us out of our industry. But what it does is it changes us from the inside out and it sends us back in to work differently. You see, many of us get on fire for Jesus and we think, you know what the first thing I need to do? Quit my job. And I got to be a missionary. I got to be a pastor. I got to start a nonprofit, right? Because this is what I got. I mean, if I'm going to make any difference in the world, it certainly is not at this job. But what if God is actually doing a deeper work? What if God wants to do a work in you, put you right back into, I'm not talking about like a toxic environment, a normal work environment for you to serve him there? So how do we find fulfillment? How do we integrate faith and work? How do I live for the glory of God in my workplace? Ecclesiastes 9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Here's what he says. Um, Whatever good work God calls you to, put your strength into it. Put your passion into it. Give it your utmost attention. Ecclesiastes 3. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is God's gift to man. What if your job is a gift from your father? What if there's a way that he wants you to actually take pleasure in the work that you are doing? And listen, I, I know I'm, uh, you, I'm young and you, you, the older generation views the younger generation and they say, oh, you guys think, you know, your work should be all rainbows and butterfly and follow your passion. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, well, my pleasure in my job, you know, I'm going to do something that is just absolutely, I love every second of the day. That's not work. But he is talking about a deep level heart contentment and doing good work. I remember years ago, I was driving in my car and I was listening to Mike and Mike in the morning. You guys remember Mike and Mike? Yeah, yeah, okay. It was a sports show that was really, really popular. And this was the season where Tim Tebow was playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Now are you with me? Okay, so Tim Tebow, as you know, is a very outspoken Christian. And I remember listening to the sports talk radio uh, show And Mike and Mike were debating this question. What does it look like for him to be a Christian and a football player? Should Tebow be this outspoken about his faith in his work context? And I remember like driving my car, I'm like, whoa, I was in seminary. I was thinking like, Christians have been debating this question for 2,000 years. And now Mike and Mike are debating it. It's a really interesting question. How do you be Christian and a football player? The same question you ask about your industry. How do I be a Christian and a banker? How do I be a Christian and a software developer? How do I be a Christian and a teacher? How do I be a Christian and a bus driver? And we think, well, how, how do you do that? Is it that he plays football ethically? Plays by the rules? He's kind to his teammates? Is it that he uses his platform as a football player to help people? Is it that as a football player, he made a lot of money so then he can give his money to good causes? Or is it that he wears little scriptures, you know, under his eye black, 
during important games? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian and a football player? So as we close this morning, this afternoon, I want to suggest a couple of ways for us, regardless of what industry we are in, where we can begin to integrate our faith and our work, where we begin to find pleasure in our toil, as Ecclesiastes says. A way that we can put all of our might, and not just our might, our spiritual energy, our hearts, into our work. First, we can work with imagination. We begin to take a step back and say, okay, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do what my boss asked me to do. I'm going to do my job description. But I'm going to take a step back and ask the question, what is God's heart for this place? What is God's desire for this industry? Very simply, (coughs) what does God want to do here in this place? What are the good gifts that I can see? What are the good gifts that God has placed here? How can I take them and cultivate them for the glory of God and the good of others? I love the way Thomas Merton says it. All vocations are intended by God to manifest his love in the world. Do we ever ask the question, God, how do you want to manifest your love to the world through this good work? Second, we work with excellence. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever God calls us to do as followers of Jesus, we should do it to the very best of our ability. We Christians should not be producing bad work in the world. It is a reflection on our Father, and our Father does not make junk, neither should we. I love the way Martin Luther King Jr. puts it. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Do we view our work that way? It's like, man, maybe what I'm doing is not what I want to be doing, but while I'm doing it, I'm going to do it to the very best of my ability. And I'm going to work in my free time to get to where I want to go, but while I'm here, I'm going to work with excellence. I'm going to be the best street sweeper this street has ever seen. You might be the intern in the office, and they say, hey, you know what your job is? Organize the closet. And you say, well, I'm, I'm, this is going to be the most organized closet in all of human history. I, but you didn't sign up for this internship to the organized closets. You know, you're on the up and up, man. No, the job God gave me right now is to organize this closet, and this closet is going to be organized. They're going to come in here and be, they're gonna eat off this floor in this closet. We work with excellence. Third, we work with character. Work that is Christian, work that um, we could say uh, follows what the Scripture says, will conform to the highest standards of ethics. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul tells us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means the Spirit of God is working in us to produce that through us. So that means the Holy Spirit is not taking a break during the 10 hours you are at work every day. Those things are going to come out in the way that you do your work, so you do it with character. Fourth, we work with grace. Our work... Um, should be a picture of the God that we serve and the gospel that we believe in. You're like, well, um, my work, we don't, we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. Okay. 
what about the way that you work? Does it reflect the gospel that you believe? We should lead with humility and kindness because that's how Christ led us. We should treat everyone with dignity and respect because that's how God treats us as image bearers. So whether you're the boss or not, every single person in the office, you're saying, I'm treating you with dignity and respect. We should look for ways to serve and sacrifice for the good of others because that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus, who, by the way, lived for most of his life as a carpenter, said he did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Savior that we follow. We should be willing to extend grace because what Christ has done for us on the cross, what Christ has done for us in the gospel was a giant act of grace that changed our lives. So when we enter in even to a secular workplace, we want to be grace givers because we are grace receivers. I'm going to be receiving grace all morning. I'm in my quiet time. I'm receiving that grace. And so when I show up at work, I'm ready to give it out. I'm ready to be patient. I'm ready to be kind, especially to that person that annoys me to no end and doesn't deserve it, because that is exactly what Christ did for us. And I realize when I say all this, I can just read your mind right now. Many of you are thinking like, what do you know? <laughs> You're a pastor. Yeah, like you like, you know, never worked a real job in your life, and you, have, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. And listen, I know, I know. This will look different in different industries. I'm not asking you to like plug and play. But I'm asking you to ask the question. I'm asking you to take a step back and say, how does my faith, which I say means everything to me, just ask the question, how does this transform where I'm going to spend 90,000 hours of my life? How can you be a billboard of God's redeeming grace? And finally, we work with intentionality. And this is so interesting to me when we read the New Testament. When we read the New Testament, the mission of Jesus doesn't move forward primarily through the work of the apostles, the pastors. At every turn, we're looking at the story of God. It is through people working in the marketplace that the mission moves forward. Uh, especially Luke, the, the author Luke, when he's in the book of Acts, he's showing the spread of the gospel, and the gospel's going here, and the gospel's going there, and people are preaching, and people are working, and the churches are being planted, and he makes a point to say, but it actually wasn't Paul. People beat Paul to the punch. If you remember, Paul's like, I got to preach Christ where he's not known. I have to press the thing forward. And it's like he gets to the places he wants to go, and there's already a church there. And you're like, well, how did that happen? People working normal jobs, secular jobs, people, businessmen, businesswomen, people working in the marketplace, changed by Jesus, got there first. So Paul showed up. He's like, ready to hear the gospel? I was like, already got it. Church already planted. Stephen Neal, who wrote the classic um, church history book, History of Christian Mission, he argued that there were three great church planting centers in the ancient world, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. 
not one of them founded by an apostle. It was people who worked normal jobs. They probably didn't love them either. They probably thought, do I have to do this again today? And God, all the while, through their toil and through their work, was spreading the gospel all over the world. Every Sunday as a church, you guys read the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. What if he wants to do that through a place you don't even want to be? What if he's going to do that through this job that he has given to you? What if he wants to do that in the 50 hours a week while you're not at, in your apartment? Are we open to that? We can work intentionally. So here's the question. Where has God called you to cultivate in this season? What good work has, has he called you to do? How is he calling you to use your work to be a blessing to others? Is he calling you maybe to transform the way that you view it? To get out of the cycle of burnout, pointlessness, move into a cycle of grace. Move into a cycle of saying, God, here I am, I am available. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks. You are a God who is so kind and generous to us. Um, Father, I want to pray for those who are struggling in their work right now. Give them patience. Give them grace. Give them a greater sense of purpose. God, for those who are without work right now, we pray that you would be their provider. God, that you would meet all of their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. God, for all of us, I pray that we would view our work differently. May we find joy in what you've called us to, to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.